us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to your people. We thank you for this season of Advent that is pushing us to look forward in hopeful expectation. And Jesus, we pray that that expectation would still be stirred up in us, that we would be hungrier today when we leave than when we came in. We pray that you would do this by your Holy Spirit. Just as Elizabeth's womb leaped, we pray that our own selves would leap in response to your presence. Do this by your Holy Spirit to the praise of Jesus forever. Amen. Um, I don't know how, how well we know each other. Um, I know some of you to varying degrees, but uh, I, I read a lot. Um, I read a lot for work, and I read a lot for fun. Um, I read, and the, the fun books that I read, um, I'm often told are not fun, but they are fun. You're wrong. Um, I like to read all kinds of stories. I'll read all kinds of, of fiction on my own time for my own enjoyment. Um, I'll read literary fiction that wins Pulitzer Prizes and National Book Awards, and I'll read stupid, fun science fiction, fantasy stuff, and I just don't discriminate. I'm just, I'll just pretty much read anything. I don't read cheesy romance novels. That's like off the table for me. Otherwise, everything else is on the table. I read widely and profligately. There is a certain kind of story that I, I love the, the most. I really love um, what's normally grouped in like the fantasy genre. That just I've always loved books like that uh, ever since I was a little kid. And I'm delighted to see that my oldest daughter also feels the same way. So we like share reading notes and she's now reading things that, that I read when I was a kid and I'm now kind of sort of coveting the things that she's reading and wish that I had also read them and have in fact also borrowed some of her books and, and started reading those. I love stories though, and this can go with, for movies as well. I love stories where uh, suddenly the main character finds out that there is something unique and special about them, some power that they've had in them uh, that they didn't realize or that uh, happens to them. All of a sudden, they've lived some lonely, quiet life, and you don't have to analyze me. It's obvious why I identify with that part of the story. But something has happened to them, and now they have this special ability, or, or that they were actually special all along, and they didn't know it. Maybe it's not an ability. It's some sort of uh, prophecy that's been spoken about them or some role that they have to step into. I'm in on those kinds of stories. Um, probably because somewhere deep inside of me, not even deeply, somewhere very close to the surface of me, I always wished that was me. To be honest, I, I very vividly remember being in middle school, not elementary school, middle school, and praying seriously and desperately that I would be Spider-Man. I just thought that'd be awesome. 
and still do. I'm not going to pretend that it wouldn't be awesome. But that's, that's the kind of story that I wanted, that I would suddenly somehow miraculously, scientifically, whatever, I would somehow be a special one and have some sort of special power. Um, so yeah, I read a lot of books, didn't have a lot of friends. That's kind of how that goes. When we come to the biblical text, we come to specifically our, our, our sister Mary's story here. It's easy to come in with that kind of mindset. We are, we are entering into somebody's origin story here. And somebody, Mary, is finding out that they are especially suited, especially empowered to be this special kind of person. Uh, in around whom the whole story revolves, and let's let's be clear that the text is clear that there is some sense in which Mary is very special. There's there is a sense in which she is is blessed and honored uh, above anybody else ever. She fulfills this unique vocation in the history of humanity, the history of Israel. She would be the one who would be, in some miraculous, unexpected way, the mother of God. Not that she is creating God, but somehow in her body, she will house Israel's Savior, knowing Jesus for who he is before anyone else in the history of the world. She is, in some very real sense, special. But Luke's gospel will also kind of go out of its way to say that she's very unexpected and ordinary. She is really just a girl. And, and we have to be clear here, she's a girl. <laughs> she, is, she is not a woman. She is a girl, barely having one foot in each world of being a woman and being a girl. She's betrothed, very young, and she is the one who receives this message that God is going to do something special and unexpected in her. And her response is, is of confusion. What, like, what? But also, okay. And here in, in Luke 1, where we started reading, is she runs to see the only person who can identify with her. The only other person that the angel has mentioned when the angel came and spoke to her originally was her cousin, Elizabeth, who is also unexpected because she is not very young, she's very old, and she is also miraculously pregnant. And so we see this original meeting here of these two unexpected women who are sharing these unbelievable cataclysmic events inside their bodies. Elizabeth and Mary meet and the whole plan of God's redemption meets there too. And it's not just the women who participate in their joy, it's, it's the people in their wombs that also participate celebrating what God is going to do. And that's where Mary's song erupts from. Mary sings this song that we call the Magnificat, probably one of the most powerful songs in all of Scripture. 
It's important to hear Mary's song in the setting of Israel's story. That's what That's what the power of the season of Advent is about, is that we are hearing Mary's song. We are hearing the song of the gospel set into the larger story of Israel and indeed the whole world. Because as we've been talking about all season, there is something deeply wrong with the world. And Israel is the people of God. Israel is the one moving the story forward, but what's What's so incredible and so disappointing and so comforting in some strange way is that Israel, the people of God who are moving the story forward in the whole world, they themselves are not exempt from what you and I also experience. Because the message of Israel's story is not that Israel is special. They're special because they're chosen. But Israel is not special. There is no special origin story, no supernatural, spectacular, different characteristic about Israel. What's remarkable about Israel is that they're unremarkable. Is that they are just like you and I, that if you read the whole Old Testament, you can't come away from the Old Testament saying, man, those Israelites, powerful, special people. If you come away in disbelief from the Old Testament, you probably come in disbelief saying, I can't believe these people made it. I can't believe they made it into the Bible. They're terrible. I teach Old Testament at at Montreat, and many of them have not experienced the Old Testament. And so I'll read these stories, we'll cover these stories of these, these heroes of the Bible, and we'll look at all of the ways that they have failed. And they'll be like, Man, these people are scumbags. Yes, correct. Just like you and I. What's remarkable about Israel is that they're unremarkable. And yet, in Micah's prophecy comes this repeated theme. And Micah's only one person that will carry this message. Somehow, in this ordinary unremarkable people, God will insert Himself and through them do what the whole world has been longing for. The story for Israel has been that all the people that are supposed to be the good ones and the heroes, they are not heroic. In fact, what God will say to Israel again and again through the prophets is all the people who are supposed to be the leaders and, and the, the virtuous ones, the shepherds of Israel, they're terrible shepherds. All the priests, all the kings. Jeremiah will say, this is my flock, Israel is my flock, and you have scattered them to the hills. It's not just that Israel is unremarkable, it's the people who lead Israel are unremarkable. And yet there's this consistent insistence. Yet God will do something. Yet God will come to Israel. Yes, the world is a sort of shambles. There is darkness and death and destruction. Yes, 
judgment seems to be hanging over this whole thing. And yet God will do something to set things right. What Micah says is all the ways those other shepherds have failed. There will be one born in Bethlehem who will be a shepherd king, who will gather his flock close, and he'll keep them safe. Right now, the flock of God is scattered all over the world, Micah is saying. But there will be a shepherd king who will come out of David's hometown. And from David's hometown will be a a shepherd king of Israel that surpasses even David, the hero of all of Israel's heroes, who is himself deeply flawed. And he will extend his peace, not just to what they think and know as the flock of God, but that peace will in fact flow to the whole world. That is the the backdrop of what Mary is singing. So then when Mary starts singing, it is not just this sentimental sort of Christmassy, hazy kind of, hey, there's peace on earth kind of thing. There is something deeply political about what she is saying. Because what she's saying is that there is a politic of God's kingdom that is going to insert itself in the world. And the strength of God's king will bring low the strength of any rival king. That is what she is singing. He who has mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And in Mary's song, we have this this glimpse, this wonderful encapsulation of the entire story of God's working in the world. My eye, your eye, humanity's eye naturally veers towards those who are strong and those who are mighty, those who sit themselves on the throne. We are actually together always all looking for that special one who has the special ability and the special power to shape the story and mold the story and bend the story to their will. We put them on thrones and we put our hopes on them who sit on thrones and we trust in their thrones and their power and the might of their arm and we expect that those kinds of people are the ones who will advance the story and fix everything. It is that ethos, that belief that drives our culture forward all the time. Our culture is tipping wildly to and fro, up and down between rival parties, trying to get a grasp on power, raw power that they can control with their own will and assert on the world in their own way. Believing, I am the right one. I am the virtuous one. If I am the one that can hold power, I can make things right. And of course, everyone else around them says, no, if I have the reins, if I hold power, I will be the one who will assert control and form the world into good. The world is suffused 
with this kind of mentality and belief, this lie. Because that is what it is. It's a lie. It is the lie that Israel believed. It is the lie that you and I believe. You can sit back and watch the TV or read the news and you can say, if only those people would get it straight. But if you would look at your own life, the relationships you have with your own friends, with spouses, and even with yourself, your quiet conviction is, if I could just hold the reins of power, I could guide this thing to where it needs to go. And what is Mary's assertion? The shepherd king of Israel is going to come. And what he will do is not find this cast of special characters. The ones who have the secret powers. He will instead find the humble and the lowly. And he'll lift them up in the strength of his own arm. Because this is not a story about Mary's specialness. It is not a story about Israel's specialness. It is not a story about your specialness. All of Mary's hopes hinge on Jesus. That is is what makes Mary's response so beautiful and special in the sense that it's rare is that she is wide open to God being who He says He will be and doing what He says He will do. And when Jesus comes into the frame, it can make this girl, this unexpected girl, the vessel of the one who will settle the world in the peace of God. And Jesus is unrivaled. He is, in some sense, the strongest version of the thing that we all lust to be. He is, there's no question in Mary's song, very strong. He bears his muscles and he will upend all contrary powers. There are no thrones that Jesus allows to be set up around him and to endure. Mary sees both what is coming immediately and both and what will come far at the end of history. And this one who she bears in her, her, her womb will not suffer any rivals. He will upend the mighty. He will bring down any contrary power. So in that sense, Jesus is exactly like the thing that we all try to be, but he's a bigger and better and stronger version of it. But don't be confused. And don't think that the thing that you and I lust for is the thing that he is times a hundred. Because he is also the one who is lowly and humble. And he gathers to himself the lowly and the humble. Elizabeth rightly sees the state of things about our sister Mary here. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment 
of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the thing that makes Mary special. She believed. It's not something floating in her DNA. It's not the the bite of a supernatural spider. It is merely that she trusts that God will do what He said He will do. And people who who hang all of their hopes and all of their esteem and all their position in the world, and they hang it entirely on the weight of another hook, other than the hook of their own strength and own reputation. Those people are surprising and rare. They're not the way the world works. They're operating according to a different story. And Mary trusts God and hangs all of her hopes on that hook and instead finds that He will hold and He is sure and He is fast. And He will lift up the lowly like her. My, my favorite story, my favorite book is The Lord of the Rings for a million different reasons, but at the heart of it is, is this here. And The Lord of the Rings is not an allegory. It's, it's not a parable. It's not how it works. But if you read the story or seen the movie, you know that the heroes, the people who moved the story forward, the ones who are carrying the ring of power to the place where it needs to be destroyed, they're not the people with special powers. They're, they're literally the ones that get looked over. They're the humble and the weak. The people that other, the other characters look at and say, really? Them? The, the chief attribute of these hobbits are that they like food and they have hairy feet. That those are their powers. One of which I can identify with. The eating, to be clear. There's nothing especially remarkable about them. It is their humility, their simplicity that sets them apart. And you know what? You're tempted to believe that they must be inherently good in some way. That's what will make them the heroes at the end. But at the moment of crisis, the moment when they can have victory, their goodness fails. And it is not their own goodness even, the simplicity of their goodness, that wins the day. You and I are caught up in more that kind of story than the story where you and I find out they're incredibly special. That we are heroes, we have secret powers, that we have this destiny to fulfill. And our world looks at this contrast and says, that's no good, that's not a good story. You want to be the one that bears the standard, that, that has the powers, that that bears your own right arm, that walks into a prophecy, that you're, you want to be that kind of hero. And if, and if you think that you're not, then there's something wrong with you. And we need to rehabilitate you. You need to go to counseling. And you need to be able to see very clearly you are the hero. You're good. You're special. You're wonderful. Because we cannot imagine a world that operates other than how we normally do that the strong are the ones who are the star of the story and you want to be the star of the story. You want to occupy that central role. 
But the logic of the story of Scripture, and indeed what we would say is the logic of the world as it is meant to be, is that you, when you embrace your smallness and your weakness, you actually get caught up into a far better story. If you live all your life with the deep conviction that you are special and that you can set your world right, it's an addicting and and powerfully compelling and it, it stirs something in you. But when you actually try to live that way, you find that life is disappointing, that in fact you are disappointing because you can't quite live up to that measure. It sets, sets you up for, for failure and for disappointment and for deep, deep unhappiness. But Mary's story, the story of the Bible, is different. The, the repeated assertion of Scripture to Israel, to Mary, to all, indeed, the real heroes of Scripture, is that you are not special. God will tell Israel in Deuteronomy, I have not chosen you because you are strong. I have not chosen you because you're holy. I've chosen you because I've chosen you and I choose to love you. You, you are not special. You are loved. You are not strong. You are loved. You are not remarkable. You are loved. That doesn't mean that you're insignificant. It doesn't mean that your life does not have individual purpose and responsibility and meaning. It means that the defining element of what it means to be human is that you are loved. And when you and I can forsake all the trust and all of our own strength, and you and I can say, I would rather be loved than be a hero, you and I become more human and alive than we've ever been. Mary is special because she sees herself rightly. And she says, God gets to be the hero and I get to be loved. The the antidote to the things that we are craving and we are longing for this Advent season is not for you to fix things. It is not for you to to buy your way out of this thing that you are feeling in your guts. It's not even that there would be the end of all war and you can solve all of those problems, that you could place everybody in a home that needs one, that you could buy everybody a puppy. It's not some program that you could execute on the world. And if you could just do all of these things, then that thing in your gut that says something is not right with the world, that thing would, would still not go away. What you and I look out on in the world that is broken and in in real ways need of judgment and fixing 
is we are looking at a world that has been disconnected from the love of God. And what Micah is telling us, what Mary is telling us, what all of Scripture is telling us is the shepherd king of Israel wants to gather his flock close to him. And what does Micah say that the ultimate end of that rule and reign would be? But that the peace of God would be extended to the ends of the earth. If you are hungry for peace this Advent, there's some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that you are tempted to, to find that peace in all kinds of surfacey ways. And the whole world is conspiring with you to do likewise. The good news is that if you are hungering for peace this Advent season, is that Jesus is on the way. Is that Jesus is coming to give you exactly that. And you may not have even known that what you are hungering for is the shepherd king of Israel to come and be your peace. But the good news is, even if you didn't know that, that Jesus is coming towards you to bring the peace of God on earth. Jesus in this Advent season is presenting Himself for all of us. If you are like you, if you're like me, that you are not sure how to gather up all the fragments of this world and all of this life and carry on, you are the, the lowly, the humble that Jesus loves. If you are here and you are just out of strength, you are just, you cannot keep moving the story forward in your own strength, you are the people that Jesus wants to scoop up and to raise up and to put food in your mouth and to clothe you and to bring you to his table. You were made not to constantly feel the need to be the hero, but to be loved. And the shepherd of Israel is here present now with his people saying the same thing to you that he said to his disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you, but I'll be with you. I love you. If you, if you know that and you trust that, that's a good thing. But today is a good day to look at your life and to say, where are all the areas that I have lived according to a different story? Where are all the places, all the pieces where I, I have sought something other than hearing those words? Where, where are all the places that you've relied on your proficiency, your strength, your excellence, the respect from others instead of this one place, this one good thing, this dwelling in the house of God above all things? Where have you run away from this story? Today, this fourth week of Advent is a good day to repent. That's what we would call this, is repenting. Turn away. Go away from that other story. Go away from that other way of living and come home. And let the King of Israel be your shepherd and your peace. You are not special. You are loved. And that is a better story. Now and forever and ever and ever and ever. That is the story of the whole world. And we are on our way there.
Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank You that we have these words of our sister Mary who, who shows us that it's not about being special or, or significant or super-powered in and of ourselves, but it's instead about trust in You. You are kind and good and loving. God, we pray that our response would be that of Mary's. I don't understand how this works, but do with me what you will because you love me and I trust that. God, we confess to you that we we are self-obsessed, enraptured with our own strength and power. The way of power is the way most tempting to us. I pray that you would help us to see the results of that way very clearly and starkly. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will instead show us the way we were meant to be where you are the powerful one, you are the special one, you are the one seated on the throne. And you give yourself in love for your people. And God, we, we confess to you that being in this world is hard. That we see so many different ways, so many different places where we don't see the peace of God. We see darkness and death. And God, this Advent season, we are pleading for your coming. We thank you that the, the king of, of judgment who upends thrones is the king that was laid in a manger as a baby. That you are both powerful and gentle. But God, we want you to come again. We want the darkness to be dispelled forever. We want the peace of God to be all over the place for this world to be lit up by the light of your face. And we want to stop inside of us this perpetual wavering between the path of power and the path of love. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you might come and bring your people rest. Rest now and rest fulfilled. You are magnificent, O Lord. You are good and kind and just and trustworthy. Help us to see You and to trust You more and more every day, growing in love. Do this by the power of the Holy Spirit the praise of Jesus forever and ever. Amen.